Amazon's got everything you need for your dorm. From everyday essentials and clothing to school supplies to bedding so comfortable, you'll sleep right through your roommate's new hobby. Save on all things college at Amazon. In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm, you're keeping it cool too. With an ice cold cold brew. And not just any cold brew, but one that's slow steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. Hello there, welcome to another episode of This Week in History with me, your host, Dan the Viking. Just a quick message to all of you who have had a guest on our Facebook page. You, uh, you, A few of you messaged me and have got it correct, and uh, a couple of you have got it wrong. So, just to clarify to everybody, this episode will cover the SS Edmund Fitzgerald, and the second picture that you guessed was the RNLI lifeboat Solomon Brown. So we will be covering both of those today. Now, the first story on the S, uh, the SS Edmund Fitzgerald, some of you may or may not know about this, but it was basically one of the greatest tragedies that hit the Great Lakes of America. So we'll go into a bit of detail. Now, firstly, the Great Lakes of America are Lake Superior, Michigan, Huron, Ontario, and Lake Erie. Now, these lakes are located in the north of America along the Canadian border. They are a series of interconnected freshwater lakes, and they're actually the largest group of freshwater lakes on Earth. So they are pretty big. So to put it into comparison, by total area, like I said, they're the largest, but for actual volume, they are the second largest. So they do still hold quite a lot of of water. They actually contain 21% of the world's surface fresh water. So if you can imagine, bearing in mind everybody in the world drinks water, 21% of that is in the Great Lakes. So that is quite an impressive feat and uh, just gives you a little bit of an insight to how big these lakes actually are. For this episode, we're actually going to be focusing on Lake Superior. So Lake Superior is the largest of the Great Lakes. So out of the five lakes... It's the biggest one. Now, just to put that into perspective, Lake Superior is that big that the volume of water in Lake Superior would cover the entire North and South America in one foot of water. So that's 12 inches. So that's quite deep, considering you're talking just one little lake, or one big lake in this point. Now, the deepest part of Lake Superior is 1,300 feet, or 400 metres, which is obviously why it is used so well for shipping lanes and why it's so important to the freighters in the North America. The winter temperatures in the lake can drop to around 40 degrees Fahrenheit. So for all you English out there, that's 4.4 degrees Celsius. And basically, due to the size, the depth, and just the pure volume of the lake, it, it never actually completely freezes over. 
So you'll never get a hundred percent frozen lake superior, which again is another reason why the season for shipping lasts so long in Lake Superior. I mean, it's I think it's only closed for about two months of the year, so they literally get as much out of it as they can whilst it's going. Now the problem is during these winter months, the weather can be very, very unpredictable, and it is said that Lake Superior never gives up her dead. So this is basically due to the fact the temperatures are so low and the water and the weather is so unpredictable that if you fell overboard, then it was almost impossible to survive. So to put it into perspective, the shipping lanes on Lake Superior, they run from the northwest Wisconsin border with Minnesota to northern Michigan or southern Ontario, Canada. So they do run the entire length of the lake and they in the sort of working like a little bit of a u shape and at the tip of the u is whitefish point which we'll get to later so they start in wisconsin and they go all the way around in like a u shape up to canada and back down to their destination and then from there they then link to other parts of the great lake now the great lakes basically they they cover quite an array of of area so like i said from northern michigan they can then travel on to chicago via lake michigan detroit via lake huron and even as far as cleveland buffalo and toronto so they do cover a very very large area now in the case of the edmund fitzgerald so the edmund fitzgerald was a great lake freighter and it was actually launched on the 7th of June 1958 and at the time when it was launched it was the biggest ship on the lakes now it was nicknamed the Mighty Fitz so we'll we'll refer to it quite a lot as the Mighty Fitz and basically the Mighty Fitz was 729 feet in length and it weighed 13,632 tons now that's empty so could actually carry up to 25,400 tons of cargo when it was fully loaded and it had a top speed of 14 knots or for those of you who don't know nautical terms that's 16 miles per hour so they did cover quite a a speed for a a ship that size it had a crew of 29 men and the captain that we're going to focus on is captain ernest m mcsorley so McSorley actually turned 63 when the Edmund Fitzgerald made its last voyage and he had over 40 years experience on the Great Lakes. He was well respected and he was a professional captain and he knew what he was doing. On the 9th of November 1975 the Mighty Fitz was loaded to capacity with 26,000 tons of iron ore. Now this would have actually been Fitz's last voyage of the season. And it was en route to Detroit. So the iron ore pellets, they, well they are, they're little balls of iron ore. It's not iron bars, for those of you who might have pictured iron bars, because that's what I did the first time. They're little pellets of iron ore. So they were loaded in, and each one was clamped down. So they loaded into each cargo hole, and each one was clamped down with a 7-ton lid. Now, these lids were then clasped together by hand, so they were used a grip that was tightened by hand now if these grips were not tightened properly water could seep into the cargo hull making the ship too heavy and it would sink very very fast so it was essential that all of these were tightened properly and basically what happened from there once they'd done that and it was ready to go they they left they left port and they were on their way 
Now, they were actually accompanied en route by the SS Arthur M. Anderson, which was captained, pardon my pronunciation, captained by Jesse B. Cooper. Now, he was another well-respected captain, and he, he captained the ship, which was a couple of miles behind the Fitzgerald. Now, to put it into a little bit of context for you, the Fitzgerald at this point, so it had been on the lakes for nearly 20 years, it actually completed an estimated 748 round trips. Now, that it actually covered over a million miles. So, it had done a fair bit of distance. You're talking 44 times around the world. So, it's done a, done a fair old journey on it. Obviously, like I said before, the Great Lakes, the weather in November, December was, was notoriously bad. And for for these two ships, it was actually predicted that at the south of the lake, there was forecast to be quite a heavy storm. So this forecast prompted McSorley to take the Fitzgerald north. So a slightly longer route, a bigger arc on on the route, but it would basically shelter them by the Canadian coast and hopefully avoid the storm so however at 1am on the 10th of november they hit the storm so they, they didn't avoid it at all and they actually ended up hitting 60 mile an hour winds with three meter high waves this actually prompted the arthur anderson to slow down to to actually cope with the storm unfortunately for mcsorley he had a bit of a reputation of never slowing down he wouldn't slow down for anybody um, unless he really, really felt the ship was in danger. So the fact that he didn't slow down it explains why he really didn't worry at this point to do with the storm. Basically, you're talking about a guy who's got 40 years of experience on these lakes, so I don't think anybody would have questioned him. But obviously in this case, the Fitzgerald actually managed to pull about 16 miles ahead. So at 2.45 they were 16 miles ahead. But the winds were still picking up. And they were still around 58 miles an hour. At 3.30 in the afternoon. McSorley radioed to say. That they were taking on water. The, they'd lost two covers. And the fence railing had gone as well. And also the Fitzgerald was listing to the side. So at 3.30. He's noticed quite a big problem. He's let them know. He had six pumps. To pump the water out of the hulls. And they were turned on and McSorley slowed the ship down just so the Arthur Anderson could catch up with him so at this point he is starting to worry a little bit he has slowed that ship down a little bit just so you know the other ship can catch up at 10 past 4 McSorley called the Arthur Anderson to report that he had radar failure as well so essentially now at this point he's blind in the water he can't see where he's going the storm is still picking up and they don't they don't know where they are. The US Coast Guard was notified by the Arthur Anderson and also the Arthur Anderson was using their radar system at this point to guide the Fitzgerald around the lakes. At 5.30, McSorley said over the radio, I have a bad list, I have lost both radars and I'm taking, over, taking on heavy seas over the deck in one of the worst seas I've ever been in. So again, this is a man with 40 years experience and this is the worst storm he's ever seen on the lakes. Now at 6pm the Arthur Anderson was struck, well they registered that they were struck by 86 mile an hour winds and waves as high as 11 metres. 
Now, for those of you that know waves, waves get bigger the longer that the more distance they travel. These waves came from behind the Arthur Anderson towards the Edmund Fitzgerald. So at the time they hit the Fitzgerald, we don't know how high these waves were. They were actually hit by a succession of three waves. So these are what are called rogue waves, which we will cover later. The storm was getting worse. The Fitzgerald was blind and it was taking on water. At 7.10, the radio from McSorley said, we are holding our own. This was the last message that McSorley would ever send. The ship sank a couple of minutes later. They had no time to send any stress signals. They had vanished from radar and all 29 men were lost to the Great Lakes. So the story itself explains quite a bit and how people, how they dealt with the situation on the lakes. The problem we have, the reason the Edmund Fitzgerald is so famous is there were no survivors, there were no bodies ever recovered. And also, it took them a long time to actually realise what potentially had happened to the Fitzgerald. Nobody really knew what had happened because it just disappeared. They sent no signals, there was no, you know, we've got a, a crack, we're sinking, we, we've taken, you know, there was nothing, it was just... We're holding our own, and now we're gone. So there was no no real answer to it, and it did become quite a famous story in America. Now, the Coast Guard were finally notified at 7.54, so it did take the Coast Guard, basically because of the weather, no one could get through to the Coast Guard. So it took nearly 50 minutes to get through to the Coast Guard, and they were informed. They were then informed again at 8.25, and yet again at 9.03. Obviously, at this point, the Fitzgerald had been gone missing for over two hours, or nearly two hours. They were reported as serious, but no one could really help in the storm. The, the Coast Guard ships were not equipped to deal with that size of a storm. The only ships that were equipped to deal with that size of a storm were the freighters that were on the lake. So, the Arthur Anderson actually turned around... And it was also joined by the William Clay Ford. And both of these ships went out into Lake Superior to try and look for survivors. I mean, especially the William Clay Ford. The William Clay Ford was actually anchored at Whitefish Point. The crew were safe. They were off the sea. They didn't have to go back out. But they got on their boat and they turned around and they went and looked for these the crew of the Edmund Fitzgerald so again, it's got a bit of a hero story to it. You know, these guys risked their own lives to try and save other sailors. And unfortunately, like I said, there were no survivors. Nobody ever found any bodies. They found a lot of debris. So there was a couple of lifeboats found or debris of lifeboats. But none of the 29 men were ever recovered. Now, there are a few theories as to why this ship sank. The first one, like I said earlier, is the rogue wave theory. So the rogue wave theory is when a ship is hit with a succession of waves at that sort of height, the amount of water on deck could have been sufficient enough to weigh the ship down to the point where it couldn't get back up. And with a ship that's cover carrying 26,000 tonnes of iron ore, it's going to sink pretty quick. So that was one theory that the ship had just... It had been hit by these three waves and it had gone and that's why 
problem with that theory is when they actually found the wreckage they found that the Edmund Fitzgerald was split in two so it had been split right down the middle and the the rear of the ship was actually found upside down the front of the ship was found facing up which means it cracked and split and then sank so in that case it's it's almost impossible to think that the waves would have would have broken the ship in half so another theory that was presented was that the hatch covers weren't closed properly now, this was actually supported by some of when when it had found they found the ship on the seabed there were a couple of the hatch covers missing some of the the grips on the on on the lids weren't tight and again that was that was sufficient for that to be the reason again it's unlikely that this would have split the ship in half however that was the theory that was given my personal opinion is one of the other ones and that is a series of stress fractures and damages done to the ship now that included with the fact that the ship i believe the ship bottomed out and i'll explain what that is for me personally like i said there are what's called stress fractures on ships so with it having that much weight in the middle of the ship there is obviously going to be a lot of pressure in the middle of the ship now with the waves being the way they were the storm the way it was and the fact that the he was piloting the ship blind almost for quite a bit i believe that they possibly hit something at the bottom of the lake and that started to cause a stress fracture along the but the bottom of the ship and that's what caused it to break when you include the fact that with the waves being the way they were it is entirely possible that the ship did bottom out like that now i'm not a maritime expert and i never claim to be and i do know that there probably is somebody who listens to this who goes daniel you're an idiot that's not what happened if that's true let me know my like i said my opinion is when you have this type of stress fracture at the bottom of a ship and i'm sure all of you remember back in school with your science experiments with the clear box with water and you try and make a wave you know it's quite a simple experiment and you'll know at a certain point you'll have two waves on this box and the two waves you'll you'll know there's a dip in the middle now for a ship that long what i believe is the front of the ship will have been supported by a wave the rear of the ship will have been supported by a wave the middle of the ship where it had a slight crack which you know obviously the stress fracture was not supported with the waves being as high as they were the ship just couldn't support the weight in the middle and it just cracked and it disappeared and that to me is enough explanation for it to have just disappeared the way it disappeared um that's my opinion like I said, if you've got a different opinion, let me know. There is, unfortunately, there is still no, there is no way of knowing exactly what happened. We can only speculate because at the end of the day, they didn't even give us, there was no time for the Fitzgerald to, to send any warning that it was going. So there was no, we don't know. So moving forward from that, on the 4th of July, 1995, there was a diver who managed to recover the ship's bell. Now, obviously, he used quite advanced diving equipment because the ship is quite far down. And they recovered the bell of the ship. The reason they recovered the bell of the ship was because they weren't able to recover the people from the ship. So they recovered the bell, and it's now in a museum 
in America. When the bell was recovered, it was actually rung 29 times for each man who died on the Edmund Fitzgerald. And those men were Michael Eugene Armagost, Frederick John Beecher, Thomas H. Benson, Edward Francis Binden, Thomas Dale Borgson, Oliver Joseph Shampoo, Nolan Franklin Church, Ransom Edward Cundy, Thomas Edgar Edwards, Russell George Haskell, George John Hall, Bruce Lee Hudson, Alan George Kalman, Gordon Frederick McClellan, Joseph William Mazers, John Henkel McCarthy, Captain Ernest M. McSorley, Eugene William O'Brien, Carl Anthony Peckol, John Joseph Poviak, James A. Pratt, Robert Charles Rafferty, Paul Michael Ripper, John David Simmons, William J. Spengler, Mark Andrew Thomas, Ralph Grant Walton, David Elliot Weiss, and Blaine Howard Wilhelm. So that is actually a recording of the bell of the Edmund Fitzgerald once it was resurfaced. Now, for the second part of this episode, I would like to cover the Solomon Brown, which is a request from one of our listeners called Lee. Now, Lee has requested this episode, and I shall be covering that for him. At the end of both of these episodes, I will will be playing two songs. One is called The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald by Gordon Lightfoot, and the other one is The Solomon Brown, which is by English singer Seth Lakeman. So these are both songs that are related to the disasters that we, we will cover. So in regards to the Solomon Brown, I'm actually going to be reading the document from Penley Lifeboat on the RNLI's website and it goes as this on Saturday the 19th of December 1981 the Penley lifeboat Solomon Brown a 47 foot wooden Watson class motor lifeboat was launched in hurricane conditions to go to the aid of the MV Union Star that had engine failure and was swept towards the southern coast of Cornwall After the Solomon Brown had managed to rescue four people, radio contact was lost. Both vessels were subsequently wrecked, losing all hands. In total, 16 people lost their lives, including the eight volunteer lifeboatmen of Penley. The MV Union Star was launched in Denmark just a few days prior to the incident. A mini bulk carrier registered in Dublin, Ireland... It sailed to the Netherlands to collect cargo of fertiliser for its maiden voyage to Arklo in Ireland. There were a crew of five, Captain Henry Morton, mate James Whittaker, engineer George Sedgwick, crewman Angostino Veresimo, and crewman Manuel Lopez. Also on board was the captain's family who he'd picked up en route. The captain's wife Dawn, and two teenage stepdaughters, Sharon and Diane. 
Near the south coast of Cornwall, approximately 8 miles off the Wolf Rock, the ship's engine failed. The crew battled to restart them, informing the Coast Guard of the situation. Assistance was offered by a salvage tug, the Norland Holland, under the Lloyd's open form salvage contract, but Captain Morton refused the offer, waiting to see if the engineers could restart the engines themselves. The weather deteriorated and with gusting winds of up to 90 knots or 100 miles an hour in hurricane force 12 winds and waves of up to 60 feet high, the powerless Union Star was being blown across Mount Bays towards Boscowan Point near Lamora Cove. As the ship headed towards the coast, the Coast Guard at Falmouth scrambled a Royal Navy Sea King helicopter from 820 Naval Air Squadron. It used the call sign Rescue 80 during the, mis- during the mission. The aircraft was flown that night by the United States Navy exchange pilot, Lieutenant Commander Russell Smith, and he was also assisted by Lieutenant Steve Marlowe, Sub-Lieutenant Kenneth Doherty, and leading airman Martin Kenny of the Royal Navy. Unfortunately, the Sea King was unable to get a line to the Union Star due to the weather. So the Penley lifeboat was launched at 8.21pm. The the lifeboat's coxswain, Trevelyan Richard, reportedly took the lifeboat alongside the coaster to try and rescue the eight people on board. Before managing to take four people off, the lifeboat made a further attempt to rescue the remaining four when radio contact was lost. It was subsequently discovered that the lifeboat had been completely wrecked with the loss of all her eight crew and the coaster was also lost. There were no survivors. Coxswain Richards was awarded the Institute's gold medal for the manner in which four people were taken off the coaster. The remainder of the crew, which were second coxswain slash mechanic James Steve, Stephen Madron, assistant mechanic Nigel Brockman, emergency mechanic John Robert Bluett, Crew members Charlie Thomas Greenhaw, Kevin Smith, Barry Robertson Tory, and Gary Lee Wallace were also awarded bronze medals. The lieutenant commander of the US Navy on the Sea King, the pilot, he actually reported that the greatest act of courage that I have ever witnessed and am ever likely to see was penultimate courage, was the penultimate courage and dedication shown by the Penley crew when it manoeuvred back alongside the casualty in over 60 foot breakers and rescued four people shortly after the Penley had been bashed on top of the casualty's hatch covers. They were truly the bravest eight men I have ever seen who were solely and totally dedicated to upholding the highest standards of the RNLI. So... Basically, in consequence, the persistent heroic endeavours by the Coxswain and his crew to save the lives from the Union Star, such heroism, the highest traditions of the Royal National Lifeboat Institute and the, in service of those who gave their lives. So like I said, these guys, I mean, Trevelyan Richards, he was the Coxswain, he was 56 years old. Stephen Mardron, 35 years old. He was also, he was, he was a mechanic, he was a a ship pilot so he, that was his job was to, to you know these these guys had normal jobs Nigel Brockman 43 he was a fisherman John Blewett 43 was a telephone engineer 
Kevin Smith, 23, merchant seaman. Barry Torrey, 33, he was a fisherman. Charlie Greenhaw, 46, he was a landlord of a pub called the Ship Inn. Gary Wallace, 22 years old, another fisherman. These guys, they gave their lives to save other people. These guys are heroes. And, you know, I grow up in an era now where I try and teach my kids to be the best they can be. I have three kids and I do everything I can to make them, you know, they, they, I see them watch things on TV and they pick out these random celebrities as their heroes and they say, you know, these, oh, oh, I I like, I'm not going to give any names, but you all know the type of reality TV shows that kids call their heroes. And then you look at these men who don't get, they don't get paid. They do it all voluntarily and they go out there every day and they save lives and they do it because they're good humans and the same with the Edmund Fitzgerald these guys that went back out into the eye of one of the worst storms that Lake Superior had ever seen and they went back out just to look for people to survive these guys are what you would call heroes these are true heroes these are people who stare death in the face and laugh basically you know i can't put into words the the work that the rnli does in this country i live in grimsby like i've said before um we're a seaside town we have an rnli station we have a lifeboat station and you know the these guys they they do it all voluntarily everything they do is is for their you know they don't get paid it's a charity and it's it's amazing what they actually do so like i said lee that is for you that episode i know you uh you wanted to hear about the solomon brown and i know this uh the song that comes up at the end is is one of your favorites so um that's why i'm doing it now i would like to say to you guys you know thank you for listening uh, i hope that something good has come out of this i hope you've learned something from this episode if there is any questions that you have please let me know um we did play the game of guess guess the picture or guess the episode a couple like i said earlier a couple of you guys did get it um we're gonna play that again i'm gonna try and play that every week so keep an eye out we'll see what you guys can get this week see if you can get it if uh if i win then i win <laughs> there's no prizes unfortunately so i would like to say you know thank you for listening guys and uh get yourselves on our facebook page get yourselves on it it's uh just this week in history podcast uh, you'll find us on Facebook. Very, very easy to find. If you don't want to use Facebook, if you'd rather talk to me privately, just email. The email address is twihpod at gmail.com. Like I said, we will do a couple of requests. I have had a couple of five-star reviews now on uh, on iTunes. So if you have got iTunes, if that's how you're listening, please give me a rating, give me some comments, give me a bit of feedback. So that's uh that's how we move forwards as a podcast and that's how we try and get more listeners and you know if every one of you guys that listens manages to get me one more listener you'll be doing me a favor like i said i don't do this for anything other than to spread the word of history and try and educate everybody with uh, a few more interesting things that you can talk uh, talk about at the wall water cooler sorry that's a really bad american pun but it's something that you guys can talk about and and hopefully you know you'll you'll enjoy 
listening to my podcast. So we're gonna, like I said, we are gonna finish with the the two songs by uh, Gordon Lightfoot, which is the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, and Seth Lakeman, the Solomon Brown. So this is in dedication to the two the two ships. If you don't want to listen to that, then like I said in previous episodes, your episode will finish where my voice stops. Uh, if you do want to listen, they are very very good songs. So I do hope you enjoy it. And uh, that's all for this week. Just remember, guys, we all have history. Make yours great. Thank you. The legend lives on from the Chippewa on down At the big lake they call Gitchagumi the lake, it is said, never gives up her dead When the skies of November turn gloomy With a load of iron ore, 26,000 tons more Than the Edmund Fitzgerald weighed empty That good ship and true was a bone to be chewed When the gales of November came early ship was the pride of the American side Coming back from some mill in Wisconsin As the big freighters go, it was bigger than most With a crew and good captain well seasoned Concluding some terms with a couple of steel firms When they left fully loaded for Cleveland Then later that night when the ship's bell rang Could it be the north wind they'd been feeling? Tattletail sound and the wave broke over the railing. And every man knew as the captain did too, twas the witch of November come stealing. The dawn came late and the breakfast had the wait when the gales of November came slashing. When afternoon came, it was freezing rain. In the face of a hurricane west wind When supper time came The old cook came on deck Saying, fellas, it's too rough to feed you p.m. a main hatchway gave in He said, fellas, it's been good to know you The captain wired in, he had water coming in And the good ship and crew was in peril And later that night when his lights went out of sight Came the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald Does anyone know where the love of God goes When the waves turn the minutes to 
The searchers all say they'd have made Whitefish Bay If they put 15 more miles behind her They might have split up or they might have capsized They may have broke deep and took water And all that remains is the faces and the names Of the wives and the sons and the daughters Sings in the rooms of her ice water mansion. Oh, Michigan steams like a young man's dreams. The islands and bays are for sportsmen. And farther below Lake Ontario takes in what Lake Erie can send her. The iron boats go as the mariners all go with the gales of November remembered. Go! 
Constant courage of our Solomon Brown. Courage it was cold. Now he was brief and bold. Courage it was cold upon that night. Courage it was cold. Now he Change your vehicle's oil before your summer road trip and save money now with Pennzoil and O'Reilly Auto Parts. Right now, get five quarts of Pennzoil Platinum Full Synthetic for just $22.95 after mail-in rebate. Save money and protect your engine against sludge and wear with the synthetic oil change. Stop by your local O'Reilly Auto Parts today or O'ReillyAuto.com. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a drama coach to be an IT guy. Yeah, I'm having trouble logging in. I'm not buying it. Say it again. This time with feeling. I can't log in? Come on, man. I want to feel your struggle. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Now, like your life depends on it. I can't log in. Yes, we'll make an actor out of you yet. For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. Geico presents Daily Affirmations. Repeat after me. Our thoughts are like the ocean. Our thoughts are like the ocean. Our thoughts create our reality. Our thoughts create our reality. We're thinking Geico offers claim service 24-7 with personalized attention from an assigned team. Geico offers claim service? Um, I wasn't thinking that. We think it and it becomes our reality. So, uh, what about washboard abs? Let's give it a go. Think really hard. Okay, abs, abs, abs. Yep, keep thinking. To manifest more Geico in your life, go to geico.com.